Welcome to the Let's Think About That podcast, where we don't just react. We'll break it down and think about it. We're going to talk news, the law, sports, whatever we're thinking about. We're your host, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. Lee, how are you, my friend? Uh, doing well, Ed. I hope you are. I am well, and we seem to be fully into fall now, don't we? Yes. Uh, actually, it was a little chilly this morning and, and for a good portion of the day. Yes, and it's going to be the same tomorrow and the next day, and I don't know if we'll see 80 again until the spring. Yeah. Um, Unless uh, global warming kicks back in. <laughs> or Putin nukes somebody and all hell breaks loose as a result. And that's true also. Let's hope that doesn't happen. So we had a chance uh, to talk with Melanie Standiford earlier, and we want to tell our listeners a little bit about that story. Melanie was a news reporter, producer, news director in Nebraska. Uh, you'll hear more about her story, but she recently got fired from that job for pro-life activities on her own time in her own church. We're excited to be joined today by Melanie Standiford, who has a very unique story in the um, culture wars, I would say. Uh, Melanie, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was kind of by accident that I came across your story. I heard it mentioned last week about what had happened to you, and I don't want to, I don't want to take uh, take away from what you have to say. But as I understand it, you were engaged in, in um, some pro life activities, and you were punished in a way for that. Can you just tell us what happened? So I was circulating a petition in my church. Um, the sanctuary city for the unborn um, has been an issue that's been popping up across parts of Nebraska. And it was coming, um, it was shared at our church and I witnessed some of the signatures for that. So I took those to have those notarized, but I was circulating a petition for the, um, to put it on the November 8th ballot for the community of Curtis, Nebraska to decide if they were going to vote, you know, they could vote on that, whether or not they would make Curtis a sanctuary city for the unborn or not. And so that was um, on Friday, uh, September 30th, I was um, taking the day off because I work a lot. And I took Friday off because I was planning on working the weekend. And I was at home and I got a phone call from my employer saying that they had to make a quick trip to North Platte from Lincoln and could I meet them? They had something important to talk to me about. So I'm about 45 minutes from North Platte where I live. And so I got in my car and drove up there um, to be told that I was no longer with the company and that I could leave. What, what was your employment? What did you do? I was a news director for um, Gray Media for a television station called Cano TV in North Platte, Nebraska. I was a news director. I also anchored the 6 o'clock news. Sometimes I filled in for the <clears throat> midday show or the morning show, or the evening show, just wherever I needed, was needed. I also produced, um, I also uh, was a news director, like I said. I also trained people, hired people, fired people, um, yeah, kind of everything. Got wind of, of what you were doing, not that you were keeping it a secret, but did, did somebody complain, or how'd that work? So that, sorry, that petition um, was done at our church um, early August, and the only thing that I can narrow it down to is somebody from our community had to have said something, um, whether a newspaper um, article, whether that writer reached out to Curtis or if they reached out to them. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know who actually did that. I do know that I have one community member who 
grew up in the same church who was pro-choice, who was featured in the article that got me fired. So she has reached out to me um, and said that it wasn't her and that, that I, I deserve to be fired over this. And so I don't know if that's an indication of guilt or if that actually didn't have anything to do with it. I don't know. I wasn't on the radar. So that had to, it had to have been someone from my small community that thought, um, okay, she's getting too loud over here. We don't want this to happen. I have to say I'm not familiar with North Platte or, or Curtis, Nebraska. I assume Curtis is a fairly small town, and you were known in that town because you were on television locally. I was not on that town because I grew up there. You and grew I, up there. I was baptized as an infant 50 years ago in that same church. I was 50 in June. It's been 50 years of my family. Um, I did move out of town for a while, but <clears throat> my my father was baptized there. My grandmother went to church there. I mean, we have, if you count my grandchildren to the people buried in the church, we're eight generations in Curtis, Nebraska. Wow. It's not It's not like people didn't know what I believed or, I mean, probably people know my middle name. <laughs> I mean, it's, I wasn't famous in Curtis for being a news director. In fact, this is a, um, not something I would normally share, but I didn't have my car licensed as fast as I needed to get it licensed. And people were like, well, does she think she doesn't have to license her car because she's the news director? <laughs> she, this is Melanie, you know? <laughs> no, people didn't look at me when I go to the grocery store. People don't look at me as Melanie Standiford News, too. I'm Melanie. I I wasn't famous. They, they say that. You can't be famous in your own hometown. It's true. So... Other than gathering names on this petition, had you been involved in a lot of pro-life activities there? So not in Curtis, um, but in the spring of last of this year, I marched in Chicago with my children and husband. I marched in Washington D.C. with my with myself. Actually, I went alone, um, and then in Lincoln, Nebraska, I marched, um, which consisted of holding a sign and walking with people who were pro pro-life. And I listened to some leaders, but interestingly enough, back in I think it was it was April or March, whenever we, that March was, when I was in Lincoln, I contacted my employer and I said, "Hey, there's a lot of TV stations here in Lincoln that are getting video and stuff, and we have a Huskers coach here and some other leaders, some senators and stuff. Would you like some pictures? Would you like some video? Um, you can use it however you want, but I'm here. Do you want it?" He goes, "No, that's on your own time." we won't, we won't uh, be able to use those. So, okay, that's fine. And I went about my business. But my point is, he knew I was doing that. And he told me that was on my own time. And so that wasn't an issue. And so for them now to use that same language when they fired me, no, you can't do this on your own time, you know, seems kind of odd to me. And then they say that there's um, rules and that I had been warned. And I, so I don't understand where they're getting this. Just a little confused. So you had been warned before. So he told me that I had been warned right. about this, and so I don't know what he's referring to about being warned. Um, a year ago, governor of Nebraska was in Gothenburg, Nebraska, and he was doing a town hall on the um, proposed health standards for the schools in Nebraska that the state school board was working on. And I tried to interview people from both sides, but I could only find the side against the proposed health standards. And so I did a story um, about that. And 
one of the lines I used in the story at the very beginning, I introduced myself and I said, this is very long and tedious, so you'll have to look it up yourself. Plus, there are there is language in this that I won't say on television. Because I don't know if there's a 10-year-old in the room. I don't know if there's a 5-year-old. I'm not going to say the things that are in these. And, and so I said that, and it angered the state school board when this story came out, because I said, there are things in the proposed health standards I won't say on television. You'll have to look this up yourself. And, and in retrospect, I could have left that line out. But that's the only thing that I can think that they're referring to because they did a Zoom call with me from Lincoln and said, yeah, we can't say things like that. That's showing the bias. And I didn't mean it that way. But that's the only thing I'm thinking back that could have been considered as a warning. But I was never written up I was never, you know, formally disciplined for anything. There were never three, you know, so that's what I don't understand. Right. And I have to say, Melanie, that we hear these stories as 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 Christian believers. We hear about other Christians who are punished in certain ways. Actually, we even hear about people who aren't Christians, but who may disagree with the culture and, and they get punished in different ways. But most of us from small towns, we don't really expect that in our own community. And I have to think this must have just been somewhat devastating for you to be to lose your job that you'd had for some years because you were doing something on your own time in your own church. So just it was very devastating. I just wasn't expecting to be losing my job that day. Um, I would like to, first of all, say I do not have a degree in journalism at all. Like I have zero degree training in journalism. I Everything I've done has been freelance reporting. When I got this job, they knew that. They know that I am a, I have a bachelor's in leadership. I have a master's degree in international security and intelligence. And I have a, most of my PhD done for uh, forensic psychology. And so my point in saying that is the lady that did this article on me, when she was interviewing me, she blasted me for being not ethical. I was very upset because I, I didn't think I was being unethical. You know, I was doing something in my own church. But when I got the news director position, it was 2020, uh, May of 2020, in the height of COVID. And so my I told you earlier, my daughter passed away. She got, she died December of 2019, right before COVID hit. And then, and they knew that, and I was going through that. And then COVID hit really hard about a month and a half later. And we went through a couple months of that. Well, our my news director kind of disappeared on us. She was looking for a job somewhere else, and they took her to a gray station to another state and just never came back. And so then I was the interim news director, and then I jumped into that role in like late May, early June of 2020. And as soon as I took that role, I didn't hear from anybody for a year. Like I was in North Platte, Nebraska, running the show. People were leaving. People were, you know, eventually getting let go because of COVID. I had a bare bones newsroom. I was um, up until the week I was fired. I slept on my office floor from time to time because I would do the morning show and turn around and do or do the night show, turn around and do the morning show, be there for 18 hours a day. I mean, this was my my realm. I was there all the time. And so um, when they fired me, my first concern was my people because I have a very small newsroom anyway. And I had just brought kids from across the country. I brought someone from Miami, someone from uh, Colorado, someone from uh, Montana, someone from Missouri. And I was just getting them going. And now these kids are just like high and dry, no 
where's Melanie? That was my first concern, was them, how this TV station was going to go, and the community attacking them for me being fired. Um, since then, it's kicked in that I need to worry about, you know, my own future and my kids and stuff, because now they're coaching the people at KNLP to say she was warned three times. Well, I just, I don't understand any of it. How did the folks at church react, if you can tell us? The church at my church? Amen. So on the, I was surprised to see, because they usually don't, they're pretty down low, don't like to, a lot of attention, but they, the pastor actually put um, my story on the front of our, our, our Facebook page. Wow. Yeah, in our community. So, and because of this, um, we don't have a Lutherans for Life chapter in Curtis, Nebraska, but we are getting one now. Good. Good. Maybe that's something good that comes out of this. Yeah. For you personally, where do you go next? What's What's the next chapter for Melanie Standiford? So I started a Facebook page um, called uh, Midwest Media by Melanie, and basically every day I'm not doing it every day. I'm because I'm not getting paid. You know, I I don't have an income right now, but I'm trying still to travel and do those stories. I've done some very amazing stories. I did one with a firefighter um, passed away in the fires in north, uh, north of here. And the United States honor flag was there. And I did a story about that. It's a, it's a six minute long package basically that's on my site. Um, yesterday I interviewed with a woman who holds painting classes for cancer survivors. And I'm just kind of doing these little mini documents, document drama type things and, and stories of what's going on in the community. I did one on the civil air patrol and they're taking kids out on their first flights and, and people are loving it. Within my first few days, I have, I have 1.2, uh, 1,200, uh, followers. Um, I have a man that was also fired from Gray for not getting the vaccine last year. Hmm. And he does he does weather and he has just partnered with me to do a weather segment on that page. Um I've I've been given several job offers. Um I had a competing television station want me. Um I've had two newspapers reach out to me and I've had some people outside of the industry reach out to me, but I'm just giving it some time so I don't jump into another you know, I want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. Sure. You got anything else, Lee? No, we just, again, I, I'm sorry. I was, uh, I was late and we certainly appreciate your time and, uh, wish you the best. Thank you very much. I hope that, um, something good, you know, God works everything for good. And I hope that I can do something wonderful with this. I hope that, um, I hope that people learn that they should stand up for what they believe. And I wasn't out to be like a poster child for pro-life or anything like that. I was just going through the, my daily motions and doing what I do. Um, I reported on the sanctuary cities in Nebraska. I did, but I always was fair and balanced. And I reported those stories and they were on all of our news outlets for the last, some of them over a year long. So they were clearly unbiased because they were never taken down until three days ago. Someone took them down. Hmm. 18 stories that I wrote about that, but my other thousand plus stories I've done are still on their website. Well, I'll just echo what Lee said. Thank you for the time you've given us today. And we wish you the best as you move forward. Um, it certainly seems like a great disservice that was done. And we just wish you the best. Thank you very much. I hope people all speak up so maybe some of these things can stop happening um quite interesting story that melanie shared with us um 
in some ways very sad. Uh, she seems uh, to be handling it about as well as you could expect. And her um, hope that she expressed towards the end of the interview where she said maybe something good can come from this, um, you know, is uh, is about the best attitude I think you could expect anyone in her shoes to have. And I, as you said, I hope I certainly hope that it works out well for her. She's uh, she's standing strong and it seems pretty clear from what we've read and what we've heard, at least in my opinion, that and she sort of got the very end of the stick from this uh, local television station. I think that's true, Lee. And, you know, we've we've spent a lot of time talking politics on this show. We've, we've talked about international affairs, economics. We don't spend as much time on the culture wars, but um, this is just another example of how uh, traditional morality, traditional conservatism is being fought on so many different levels by others in the culture. Uh, in this case, someone who's in their own church on their own time and who loses their job, their livelihood uh, as a result of, of what they're doing. Um, and I don't think this, as as bad a story as this is, is, is exactly unique. Uh, when you hear about the cancel culture and how other people are being thrown off of social media or are banned from this place or the other place, it's, it's you know, an unfortunate trend in our society now. Yeah. And, you know, you're right. It, it was her own time in her own church. And it's not like she was taking a, a super com, uh, comfort, uh, controversial position. She simply was, um, as I understand it, witnessing signatures on a pro-life petition uh, requesting that a pro, pro-life measure be uh, on a, um, uh, a local uh, ballot. You know, it really wouldn't even have any substance, to be frank. It was uh, to designate this little town that she grew up in as a as a uh, a sanctuary city for unborn children, I guess. You know, um, which is really more of a political statement than it is anything else. It's not like she was saying, "I'm from W whatever it is, or K N O P or whatever the call letters on the station were." And it's not like she was using television station's time or, 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 or her position uh, to do anything. Um, and to think that someone in that situation can't have private opinions and voice them is, um, is, is frightening. Really, really, really frightening. And the other thing I wondered about, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Though. No, no. Uh, what I also wondered about, and we'd never know the answer to this is how many other employees of that same media network, because it's more than just the one station, have participated in left-wing causes, whether it's marching for pro-choice candidates, giving money, attending rallies, whatever it might be, and no one has taken issue with that. That's right, and it's a it's a big it's a big media company, um, and you're right. I, I'm sure that has happened, and uh, you know those folks have a right too. But you have to you have to feed everybody out of the same spoon. And uh, it seems pretty clear that, uh, that that they went after Melanie for her for her beliefs, not the exercise of those beliefs. I mean, she's got some irons in the fire. She's got a, I guess, would, would you call it a podcast or a website, Facebook page where she's doing some? I believe it's a Facebook page where she's continuing to use her yeah, um, journalistic craft. So. Uh, you know, we're hoping that uh, she uh, lands on her feet and goes on to even bigger and better things. 
Yes, and we just want to thank Melanie again for the time she gave us today, and we appreciate that and wish her the best. We'll certainly stay in touch with any developments that we hear in this. That's right, and if at any time she wants to come back on, we'd be more than happy to have her. Now, in other news today, I don't know what's on your mind, Lee, but I really think we have to think about what Biden has done today with respect to releasing more oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Um, We're now, what, uh, three weeks, basically, from the midterm elections, and it seems three weeks exactly yesterday. Pretty clearly a political move to try to uh, keep the price of gas from shooting through the roof uh, more so, we, we talked last week about the Saudis and OPEC Plus cutting production. And, uh, you know, what do you think about this story? Well, uh, I think you're right. I, I, I don't think I'm not sure that it's getting the play that it ought to get. The Strategic Petroleum Reserve exists for a national emergency, you know, primarily a national defense emergency where we might need to put our hands on um, a good deal of oil that we ordinarily wouldn't need uh, to run our ships, planes, tanks, whatever. And he's selling it. He's released more. And that's what released means is selling it than I think any other president. The, uh, the numbers are down drastically. I saw a graph today and then, you know, it goes almost straight down during the Biden administration. And he has a plan, of course, to replenish those uh, reserves um, when the price of oil goes down. But, you know, as as I as I saw someone on Twitter this afternoon say, it's really a good bet to think that you can time the oil market um, and 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 replenish something uh, at, a, at a at a good price. I mean that that's that's really going to inspire confidence, and that 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 has every uh, every likelihood of of crashing and burning from a from a political and a in a dollar standpoint. So. Um, you know, I think it's, a, as you said, a crass political move. I also don't think it's enough to, to really move the needle in terms of the gas prices much at all. Um, it, perhaps it slows down um, uh, the rise of gas uh, prices a little bit in the next uh, three weeks. But, you know, with it getting colder in Europe um, and the the situation in Ukraine and now the Chinese are not selling liquid natural gas to the Europeans. Um, the price of energy is going to really skyrocket in the coming weeks and months. Um, there's all kind of preparation in Europe by governments as to having rolling blackouts. And there's uh, the BBC has come up with some scripts that they will read over the air when they run out of um, the ability to provide power. 24-7. I'm not sure how people will listen to them if they don't have power, but hey, I guess there are enough battery radios that, that people can can get by. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a scary situation. And I sent you earlier this afternoon a, a link to a, a, the EU's website where they talk about uh, the status of their uh, natural gas stocks um, being, you know, maybe 80% or so uh, of what they should be. And, you know, that doesn't sound too bad. But then you, you look at it and then those stocks are not to to provide 100% of the energy needs of the European Union members. They're really to, to, to help them not have to buy as much liquid natural gas from other nations and perhaps 
cut the price when they do buy it, buy it or keep the price down. And they they need, I mean, those those reserves are like twenty to thirty percent of what they're going to need. Um, and uh, it's just it's a mess, and it's you know the boom is lowering, and I don't know that there's a a plan to 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 change that. You know, you're you're right with Europe, and and you know when you dig through some of those documents from the EU, it seems very clear that they'd like to be at 100% plus. Uh, 80% was their goal to try to get there by November 1st, and that's just to stave off the worst effects of what might be a cold winter. Uh, and they're probably going to get to 80%, but, you know, hopefully that works out for them. It's it's, it's still going to be a difficult situation. And I want to go back to what you said about uh, just a moment ago, but Biden made the comment that I'm going to sell this petroleum at $90 and I'll buy it back at $70 and I'll make millions for the American people. Well, I don't think that's really a good investment bet. Uh, You're probably not going to see $70 a barrel oil anytime unless one of a couple of things happens. He goes all out of new exploration, which he's not going to do, or the economy worldwide just tanks. And that may happen. Yeah. And, and, and it also assumes that he's going to sell more in the future. Because if you just replenish what's in the reserves, even if you're buying it cheaper than what you sold it, you haven't made money because the, the, the oil that's in the reserves didn't cost $90 a barrel. And it didn't cost $90 a barrel because when Trump was in office, he replenished the reserve when oil was at some strikingly low prices. 40 or $50 a barrel. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's already, I guess you could argue if you're going to make money, it's already been made. The other issue is that releasing it doesn't make a big difference because there's no more refining capacity. That's right. Uh, crude oil is, is, is a fine thing, but you can't do anything with it other than refine it. And they're, they're just, I mean, I think the last refinery in this country was built in the seventies. Isn't that right? No, something like that. And several have closed since that. Yeah. Uh, um, and so, uh, it's a it's a Band-Aid at best, and it's a political Band-Aid. And what's the other big story out of Washington right now that you have on your mind? I'm not sure it's out of Washington so much as, as it, we need to keep our eyes focused on what Washington might do in response. But uh, Vladimir Putin today announced that he's going to institute martial law in the four provinces of Ukraine that he on paper annexed last month because he, I guess he feels like he's losing his grip on those territories as the Ukrainian army makes uh, inroads towards, towards retaking them. They're, they're sort of bogged down right now due to the, the wet conditions on the roads. And it seems like it's going to be sometime in November before they freeze and they can resume their, their offensive. But, uh, you know, I, I think that, Martial law. I mean, it's, it's just going to be even more uh, onerous on the uh, on the people in those areas. If if you've got, I mean, martial law is bad if it's in Bermuda or someplace where everybody's sort of uh, happy to see the tourists. But Russian martial law just really, really bad. Yeah, the other issue that seems to be going on is is Russia using drones to attack numerous. Uh, Ukrainian cities and civilian populations. Uh, the Ukrainians have now made a formal request to Israel for the Iron Dome air defense system. 
And I know it was talked about before, and Israel said they weren't going to share that with anybody. So don't know how that works out. I don't either. And uh, Netanyahu is in this country right now uh, pumping his, his new memoir. Um, but he's uh, they're going to have an election in two weeks. Um, and, of course, he's hoping that the Likud party takes enough seats for him to um, put some kind of government together and become prime minister again. He said uh, this morning on Fox News that if he were um, to become prime minister again, he certainly would look into what, if anything, the Israeli government needs to do with regard to changing uh, its position um, relative to uh, military aid to the Ukrainians. But he also reminded um, everyone that they've done a lot of humanitarian aid, a lot of refugees, both Jewish and non-Jewish refugees, and they sent some um, some field field hospital type uh, folks and equipment to Ukraine um, as well. And you know they're so close to Syria, that, and the Russians are basically in charge in Syria that they have every every reason it seems to me to to to, to be extra cautious about getting involved in a, in a European spat between Ukraine and, and Russia. That's definitely true. To me, the, the short version of, of developments from Ukraine over the last week is that essentially nothing has changed. I, I know Putin has declared martial law, but Putin still seems as dangerous as ever. Uh, he's been attacking civilians. Uh, Ukrainian The Ukrainian forces have still made some progress on the battlefield. So I think that the whole situation is still up in the air. Um, and the U.S. is still spending billions of dollars. One of, the, one of the Republican leaders in the House said if if the Republicans take over the Congress uh, as a result of the elections uh, on November 8th, that they would look hard at any future Ukrainian aid and implied that there probably wouldn't be a whole lot. Um, of course, we all know that Republicans say one thing in late October and then do another in January and February. But, uh, you know, at least there's that. Um, and uh, the but the guy that was in charge of the mobilization for Mr. Putin with the Russian armed forces um, ended up dead this week under suspicious circumstances. Um, so um, I, I just, you know, again, I, and I've said this for several shows now, but you're right. Nothing has changed. The Russians are uh, reeling. Um, and uh, Putin knows his Russian history. And if he is perceived as losing this war, he's done. And the Russian Federation is done. And it, the Russia that we will see in the future will be very different from the Russia that we see today in terms of its power, in terms of its population, in terms of its land mass. And so he's very desperate not to get stuck with a loss. And, you know, you wonder and worry what he might do to prevent that. At the same time, and to tie this back to the energy story we discussed earlier, uh, there are these videos out that show the Nord Stream 1 pipeline and the damage that was done in the explosion. No one is determined who committed the sabotage. Uh, I'm still seeing people blaming it on Russia. Um, others have, you know, questioned others, other, other countries with motives. Uh, but, you know, when you see those videos, it seems like nothing's going to change there. And if that, it was a Russian move, they're 
cutting ties with the West to some extent, whether they're throwing in with China or India or, or what their plans are. I mean, and, and those videos are, I was shocked. I don't know what I expected to see, but I didn't expect to see that level of destruction. And it, you know, it's, it's a job, I would think, from a, an engineering standpoint to, to fix it. And I would also assume that you probably can't fix it this time of year. Or you may just have to build an all-new pipeline, and that's going to take a significant amount of time. Yeah. Um, and and uh, I noticed, uh, I saw, I didn't notice, I saw someone on Twitter that I follow from a, one of those national security folks uh, who was talking about the number of what I'll call, well, commercial ships, tankers, whatever you call them, that haul natural gas that are stacked up off the coast of Spain uh, because there's a uh, a supply chain issue there too, um, trying to offload uh, liquid natural gas, and you know the 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 story was um, you know uh, an aggressive Soviet submarine commander uh, could take care of one or more of those ships and you know the 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 amount of liquid natural gas that they hold has an explosive each one has an explosive power about 50 times one of the atomic bombs that we dropped on on japan and you know if 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 it wasn't the russians or if they want to pretend it wasn't them and they want some uh uh, some some retribution you know could that happen And, and you just you just never know uh, a terrible thing to contemplate. That's clearly World War Three at that point. Unfortunately, yeah, I think it probably would be. Well, what's on your radar for the next weekly? Well, the, the things we talked about, obviously, keeping an eye on them. And then, you know, we're getting closer to the, as you said, to those midterms. And I, I think that um, the, the electorate will uh, and is starting to, to gel, so to speak. And, and uh, I, I keep an eye on some polls and, and some predictions as to what's going to happen, certainly as it relates to um, the Congress, both the House and the Senate. And then, um, you know, there's, I guess there's some gubernatorial races out there in, in other places that, um, that merit attention. And you? Well, obviously the elections, as we get closer, it's a bigger and bigger, um, you know, interest. Um, and there's a story that I saved. It actually, I have it here. It was in the Washington Post from October 10th, and I was going to bring it up in a show, and I just didn't because there were so many other things to talk about. Um, But I just wanted to mention this because the title was Spread of Catholic Hospitals Limits Reproductive Care Across the U.S. That's from the Washington Post on October 10th. And it, it talks about how, and it's a quote, Catholic systems now control about one in seven U.S. hospital beds requiring religious doctrine to guide treatment. Their ascendancy has broad implications for the evolving national battle over reproductive rights beyond abortion. And, yeah, I thought the article was interesting. But what's more interesting to me is that since that that piece came out, I've seen several stories out there targeting Catholic hospitals. And it all comes back to this abortion issue, and it has to do with the fact they're providing medical care and they follow certain dictates of, of their faith. Um, and that's contrary to what the leftists want, which is abortion on demand up until the date of birth. And so I'm just kind of kind of watching that to see how much, you know, I think a lot of these culture wars have been led by attacks on religion. 
Um, or, or put it another way, I think there's a religion of leftism that's attacking traditional religions of Judaism and Christianity and even Islam. Um, so I think it's almost a religious battle, but it's going to be interesting to me to see how that plays out more and whether there are more attacks on Catholic hospitals, whether it comes back to funding issues or, you know, AMA trying to tell doctors what they can and can't do or just how that plays out. Well, you, 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 you raise a good point. And I, and I don't know if you saw this. I, I saw it uh, briefly yesterday. Um, the Pope has uh, what, what's called um, the Pontifical Academy for Life. And it's supposedly made up of uh, experts within the church, um, both um, clergy and laity uh, who are pro-life and are there to advise the Pope on issues related to um, abortion to, for you know, when you come right down to it. Uh, this week, the Pope appointed um, a lady from the UK who is not only an atheist, an avowed atheist, but is also pro-abortion. And it's it's raised a, a good deal of concern uh, within the uh, the world of traditional Catholicism, um, and uh, there's a you know a certain disconnect there. I mean, what is this man doing? You know, it's one thing to disagree within sort of the the mainstream and and to differ to some extent on issues related to theology, but you know. Being pro-life, anti-abortion is one of the bedrock core principles of Catholicism. And he's appointed not only a pro-abortionist, but an avowed atheist. He's given that person a voice. It's hard to understand that. Yeah. And, and, a, and an entree to advise him on issues related to abortion. The way it's supposed to work is the bishops are supposed to call him out on that. And they have it. And it's because they either agree with him or they're afraid if they do that, you know, they'll be uh, banished into outer darkness. Um, or it just hasn't happened yet or hasn't been made public yet. I mean, I, I did see that and it's a fairly new development, I guess. It just happened. It is interesting because I follow um, a couple of different priests as well as some bishops on Twitter. And it's interesting how some of them are quite outspoken on these issues and are using social media. Do you? You know, do you follow Taylor Marshall? Uh, yes. yes. Yeah, that's where I saw it. Um, he's, a, he's a good follow for any of our listeners out there who are interested in uh, those sorts of things. Yep, I think that's where I saw it also. Art, you got anything else? No, I don't think so. Well, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Let's Think About That podcast. You can email us at comments at letsthinkpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this show, please click subscribe with your podcast provider. Leave us a review. Send us an email. Tell your friends. Thank you.